Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. We made it to the end of 2020. Jim, I think that's the perhaps the best accomplishment we can possibly point to this year. It's been quite a year. It's been quite a series here of our year-end awards. This is the sixth and final installment, obviously, here on New Year's Eve. We are down to our final three awards, but uh, in many ways, they are the more prestigious. Really, two awards. We have our Person of the Year and our Turncoat of the Year, and then we'll offer our predictions for 2021, which will hopefully be a much better year for many people than uh, than 2020 was. But uh, Jim, it's time for the biggest one, Person of the Year. Who's your choice? So it is one of those odd situations where I've had to come up with, so I had to look up to make sure I have the right way to pronounce the name of this person. The person's been in the news all year, and yet very often I've, you haven't seen uh, a lot of discussion about this person. It is Monsef Slawi, the head of Operation Warp Speed. He is a uh, I believe a Moroccan immigrant who is a classic American immigrant success story, uh, worked for the pharmaceutical industry for lots of years and was selected early on in this pandemic to say, well, we got to figure out a way to get a vaccine as quickly as possible. He's not uh, enormously high profile. He's done some interviews. He does a lot of much of the Sunday shows and things like that. But you haven't seen him at the White House. He's not gotten all that involved in a lot of the political controversies uh, in, in the pandemic. Um, and kind of the, the, uh, in relation to this, actually, we're going to go for a two for Gustav Parna, who's the uh, military official who's heading up the logistics of distributing the vaccine. Two guys who probably, when, when the book is written on the story of this pandemic and how it was beaten, these two leaders are going to be a very key part of this story uh, and, and probably deserve more attention than they have gotten so far this year. Again, they don't pound the table. They're not... Um, wild and lively personalities. I think it was really significant to me a couple of weeks ago when uh, Gustav Parna, uh, there were issues about getting enough uh, doses of the vaccine to various states and Gustav Parna stood up and said, that's my fault. We haven't done that as well as we should have. It's human error. And, you know, that's something that's been sorely lacking in leadership throughout 2020. So uh, good job, Mr. Slawi. Good job, Mr. Parna. Uh, We are in your debt. And in a very dark year, you will be remembered as leaders who helped get us through one of the great challenges of our time. Excellent choice, Jim, not only because uh, he was at the tip of the spear uh, for, the, as you pointed out, the best idea of 2020, but one of the most amazingly successful operations in an emergency we've ever seen, probably, at least on the medical front, the greatest we've ever seen in human history. And so uh, excellent choices all the way around. And the fact that they're not household names makes it an even better selection. Uh, I'm going to go through a couple of honorable mentions first. Uh, On the purely political side, I was going to pick Jim Clyburn because Joe Biden was essentially floating face Mm. down in the water after three states. And I think he probably would have won South Carolina anyway, but I don't think he would have won by the margin that he did uh, without Jim Clyburn rallying to his side. And that really set the tone for all the other non-Bernie candidates uh, to get out of the race and and rally behind him with a a sidekick of Elizabeth Warren, who kneecapped Mike Bloomberg and then stayed in the race just long enough to damage Bernie on Super Tuesday. But if you think I'm going to name Elizabeth Warren my person of the year, (laughs) you got a lot of things coming. All right. Uh, The the proper answer for me is probably just doctors and nurses in general for their tireless uh, response uh, to the pandemic this year. But we like to put an actual face on this, and it's actually not going to be an American. It's The person who got into a lot of trouble and ultimately died as a result of his efforts to tell the world about Mm. COVID-19. 
It's Dr. Li Wenliang. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I'm probably not. But uh, he was a doctor in Wuhan. He's an ophthalmologist, actually. Uh, found out about this uh, disease that was going around. Didn't think that uh, the proper information was getting out there. So he made it his mission to get it out there. As we talked about last week, the Chinese don't like that when you get information out that they don't want to get out. Uh, he was roundly condemned. Ultimately, he ended up catching the virus. He died from the virus. Uh, but uh, long before the Chinese or the World Health Organization admitted what was really going on with this virus, Dr. Lee was out there uh, telling what he had seen and the information that was coming into him, trying to tell the world what was really going on. And so because of the Chinese, we lost several weeks uh, in terms of getting ready for this. But if we had listened to Dr. Lee in the first place, who knows how many lives could have been saved. But uh, he's my choice for person of the year. Greg, that was also on my list. Yes, another underappreciated story of the past year. Definitely, definitely. And so, again, two names most people, if you asked them on the street, uh, probably couldn't tell you who they were or what they did, but uh, critically important uh, for 2020. All right, Jim, let's uh, dispatch with the warm fuzzies here and let's go to turncoat of the year. What do you have? So this is another one where it's not the most familiar name, or I should point out, maybe it's the most familiar first name, but not the most familiar second name. And it's been a 2020 was a big year for names that are difficult to pronounce. <laughs> Dr. Tedros Adhanom, who is head of the World Health Organization, is my selection for the turncoat of the year, Greg, under the principle that the World Health Organization is supposed to be on our side against the virus, not the other way around. Uh, perhaps I exaggerate slightly, but I think in the long, again, when we put together the long history, the story of 2020, first and foremost, is the story of the pandemic. And the story of the pandemic begins and is most consequential in China, despite the cost it has inflicted uh, around the world. Because not only did it originate in China, that that was our best shot of preventing this you know, global catastrophe. And a big part of the problem was the Chinese government not being honest about it, tell, insisting it was not contagious from human being to human being, when in fact it was, when doctors on the ground knew it, when doctors on the ground were catching it from their patients. Um, and the World Health Organization, this is where you can insert every you had one job uh, meme and gif that you like. The World Health Organization, like this is what the World Health Organization is for. All of their other uh, public health and, and you know awareness campaigns and, and all of that uh, are all nice, but really stopping something like a global pandemic before it spreads too far is exactly what we would want to have the World Health Organization. And I think the fact that they've gotten active for all kinds of causes, including, by the way, abortion rights and other things that are not necessarily something that most people would define as being a natural topic of focus for world health. Uh, seriously controversial topics and things like that. Look, everybody's anti-disease. Everybody's anti-virus. Everybody's anti-pandemic, or at least the World Health Organization is supposed to be. But when the push came to shove and they had to, you know, they trusted China when they should not. They trusted China when there was plenty of evidence not to do it. If you're the World Health Organization, you're not trying to look online to figure out what people are saying on the ground in China. You are derelict in your duties. Um, deeply frustrating. I, I, the, you know, the Trump administration says they want to withdraw from the World Health Organization and stop funding it. The Biden incoming Biden administration says they want to restore it. I, you'd like to think that the Biden administration, someone in the Biden administration, would look at the World Health Organization and say they didn't do their jobs. Doesn't necessarily mean we have to, you know, cut every last bit of funding. But if we're going to give you any more funding, we need to see some reforms. We need to see this organization does more than just put on fancy conferences because they have a job, they have duties, and this is exactly what it is. And they failed, they fumbled, and we are all living with the consequences of it. So Tedros Adhanom, 
head of the World Health Organization, is my nomination for Turncoat of the Year. Excellent choice. And I have zero confidence in the Biden administration to actually do anything about it. I mean, when you talk about uh, their attitude towards China, towards Iran, towards the EU, towards the Paris deal, I mean, everything they want to do is to go right back to the way it was before Trump got in office. And that means kowtowing to the World Health Organization as well. So while I'd love to see some actual accountability here, uh, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, It's part of that status quo ante as uh, as Joe Biden wants to go back to. And it's going to be maddening on a number of different levels. And that's going to be one of them. Uh, Jim, my honorable mention for this one goes to Nancy Pelosi for her let them eat ice cream sandwiches while we just hold mm. up on COVID funding until after the election because we definitely don't want the president to get a win on that. Don't know that that would have made the difference in the election, but uh, that's about as craven as it gets politically. And I know I just said with person of the year that I like to have a specific person. And in my actual choice, it's not going to be. But, uh, you know, China didn't just kill a lot of people this year. They killed Hong Kong and very few people actually paid attention to it. Uh, They put in uh, the, the tougher laws where protesting became a deeper, deeper crime. And uh, not only did China renege on its uh, promise to let Hong Kong live under its previous laws for many, many more years uh, as part of the, the handover from the British from the late 90s, but the response from the world was very tepid. Some countries like Australia and I believe the UK did ultimately put some sanctions in place and take other measures to try and punish the Chinese, get them to change their mind. Obviously, it didn't. I thought the U.S., I know there's a lot of other things on the plate, but I thought the U.S. was very weak, at least publicly, in trying to uh, beat back what uh, China was doing to Hong Kong, to the freedom-loving people there. I mean, I think the protests of the people in Hong Kong in the face of Chinese oppression is one of the most inspiring things we've seen, and it should have been something that rallied the entire world to the cause. So for the Chinese and the, um, all the people uh, around the world who know better, especially Western nations who could have done a whole lot more uh, to browbeat China verbally and policy-wise and to make statements and have gestures that show that you stand with the people of Hong Kong the way Reagan did with the people of Poland with Solidarity and other people behind the Iron Curtain back in the 1980s. That made such a huge difference back then, and it could have made a huge difference now. I don't know if it would have changed it. China doesn't necessarily care what everybody else thinks. They just like to exercise power and have more people under their thumb. But the fact that it happened so quietly without more outrage from the international community, it's not only Red China, but nations, including Western nations, uh, that did not stand up for the ideals of freedom and democracy the way they should have. Another excellent selection there, Greg. There are times this year where it has felt like following the news, like drinking from a fire hose. Yes. Uh, and it's you know easy for big, develop, you know, consequential actions to get lost in the shuffle, and the de facto takeover of Hong Kong, the eradication of whatever liberties it had, definitely sounds like one of those stories that uh, we'll be dealing with ramifications of this for years to come. And it didn't get the attention it deserves, admittedly, because we had some other big issues on our plate. Hey guys, it's Mock and Daisy from the Chicks on the Right, and we're excited to tell you about our podcast, the Mock and Daisy Common Sense Cast. If you've been stressed lately with the information overload on social media, or just don't feel like anything in the news makes sense anymore, don't worry, because we're here to clear things up. Every week, we discuss topics like cancel culture, national crisis, what's happening to our new generations. And if you're just plain tired of people trying to tell you what to do or how to live your life, we tackle that too. Find out more by going to our website, chicksontheright.com, or start listening on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to leave a comment or review and subscribe. 
Jim, we both saw the pandemic coming, of course, uh, at the end of last year. No, no, we didn't. Uh, but we still have predictions for 2021. Uh, we're obviously going to have a new president, and who knows what else lies ahead. What's your prediction for the new year? Uh, you know, it was funny. You asked me about a year ago, and I said the prediction was pain. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Uh, quoting Mr. T from the Rocky movies. And, you know, I, I ended up being more accurate than I knew on that one. I think if you go back somewhere in like late January, as the pandemic was starting to spread out of China and into other countries, but really hadn't become much of an issue in the United States, I said, you know, this pandemic could be the second most important news story of the year after the presidential election. And uh, I only missed it by one, Greg. <laughs> uh, the, the, my prediction for 2021 is thankfully something better. Uh, I don't know exactly what, what it's going to be. I'm not thrilled with the incoming president, but I do feel like this has been a, you know, almost a global, it's been a calamity. It's been a catastrophe. I don't know if it's necessarily been a near-death experience for, for, for all of us, but it's been a situation in which it has touched the lives of everybody. We've been separated from our loved ones. We have been, uh, many people have lost their jobs. People have lost their businesses. People have been told to stay at homes. We have seen, we've lost, you know, as of this recording, we're well north of 300,000 people. That's like 100 times 9-11. That's, I mean, that, that's, you know, the scale of this has been absolutely horrific. We have new hope because of the vaccines. As you're hearing this, people are, you know, getting it shot into their arms. We're getting a little more protected each day. Uh, I, I, a good portion of hunting for horsemen, like was trying to, in the early months of this pandemic, trying to imagine what the world was going to look like on the other side of this when the pandemic had ended. And, and I portrayed a world that was still kind of in a psychological hangover, still kind of dealing with the ramifications and trying to climb out with all the, uh, the pain and suffering and everything we had lost during the pandemic. I think I might've gotten that part wrong because as I look forward to 2021, I actually feel a certain amount of optimism. We've been tested and we've gotten through this, hopefully more or less okay, or hopefully, hopefully you've come through this okay. And hopefully with a newfound appreciation for the things in our lives we were not allowed to enjoy, whether it was family gatherings or getting together for the holidays or going on vacation, uh, museums, you know, live sporting events, movie theaters, live performances, all these things that are part of things we enjoy in life were taken away from us for the better part of a year. We're going to get them back in 2021. Not all at once. It's probably going to be gradual. It's probably going to be slower than we like. But we're going to get back to something akin to normal life. And maybe we'll begin to realize, hey, normal life, even with its frustrations, the traffic jams, the work deadlines, the stress, kids' homework, like, you know, school, school will come back next year. That's going to be delightful. And I say this on behalf of every working parent. Um, we will come into a world, we'll begin to appreciate the joys of normal life. And one of the things which is kind of worth noting is, you know, so far uh, we've seen a slow but steady climb out of the uh, deep economic pit that was caused by the quarantines and the closures. Um, there's going to be a lot of pent up demand. A lot of people are going to want to go out on vacations that they weren't able to take and go out to the movies, go out to the theater, eat in bars and restaurants, all the things we haven't really be able to, haven't been able to do at all or have had to do under greatly reduced circumstances since roughly March of 2020. That could be a lot of pent up economic activity and that could be a lot of pent up economic demand and business could be booming as 2021 accelerates and life gets back to normal. So maybe we'll have a roaring economy. I didn't vote for Joe Biden. I think if Biden is smart, he would recognize America could really use some nice, calm, quiet, peace and prosperity. And if he can deliver, you know, all, if, so that means no big tax increases. That means no sweeping changes. We don't need a socialist revolution right now. We just need our lives to get back to normal. If Biden is smart and he can pick up on that, 
We could be in a really nice place at the same time next year, Greg. Country could be enjoying peace and prosperity in a sense of enjoying the good times that we were denied because of this great ordeal of 2020. Or they're probably screwed up, Greg. There's a decent shot of that, too. You know, it's worth pointing out, we probably should have pointed this out at the beginning of the series, that Jim and I only know the categories. We never tell each other what our choices are for each category, which is why uh, I mention, well, that was my first choice too sometimes, but uh, here's another one just to kind of fill out the discussion a little bit more. We did not talk about our predictions. And it's going to be pretty obvious because I hope you like Jim's optimistic vision of, of what might the next year might look like. Because here's, here's my uh, almost 180 uh, approach to this. So <laughs> I hope you're right, Jim. I hope your prediction's true and mine's not. But um, I expect the Biden administration to go pretty hard left, particularly after the first 100 days. And especially if the Democrats win the two Georgia Senate seats, which I have a sinking feeling they will in some part due to the fact that uh, you've got uh, people like Lynn Wood and others saying uh, that if you think that uh, there was malfeasance in the presidential race, uh, you need to not vote at all in the runoffs. I don't know how many people are going to listen to that. Hopefully it's not many, but the races are tight enough, and they certainly were on Election Day back in November, that uh, just a sliver of a percentage of people buying into that could make a huge difference come Election Day. And if the Democrats control the Senate 50-50 plus uh, Vice President Harris, you are going to see a litany of legislation coming down the pike that it's going to make your toes curl. There will be efforts to soak the rich in taxes. There will be a push, I guarantee you, for what they call the Equality Act, but what is really an inequality act for for, for churches and for schools and, and anybody who doesn't tow the LGBT agenda. There's going to be efforts to put the taxpayers on the hook for student debt that was willingly taken out. There is going to be a lot of spending in a lot of areas that's going to blow the debt up even more. And I know Republicans have kind of lost the ability to take the moral high ground on the debt since they didn't mention it much over the past few years. But I don't think there's going to be much of a slowdown from the push leftward. Biden's going to couch it in fairly moderate language, but there's going to be an ocean of, of red ink added to the ocean we already have. If Democrats control the Senate, a lot of that's going to get done. If Republicans can hold on to one or both of those Senate seats, then it's going to be a little bit different. But that means Biden's going to have to do a lot of it by executive order because McConnell won't let it come to the floor. I don't think that uh, the, the left, where it is right now, is going to stand by and let Biden just kind of be a, a caretaker. They're either going to push him loudly in that direction or just shove him with two hands in that direction. And I hope I'm wrong about that, Jim. But uh, the left has gotten to the point where they really don't want to wait for anything anymore. They're not willing to compromise on much. And I fear that Biden and a lot of the, the lefties that he's bringing in with them are going to take uh, what was dissatisfaction in the suburbs and inner cities for President Trump as a mandate for the leftist agenda, which it was not. And it's going to be ugly. So, again, I hope it's yours. I hope it's your vision for 2021. <laughs> This is why people enjoy the three martini lunch in that, you know, we, we, we appeal to your greatest hopes <laughs> as well as your greatest fears, all of, often in the same segment. <laughs> on that note, Jim, it has been quite a year. Uh, we'll see you again on Monday. We're off tomorrow for New Year's Day. But uh, here's really hoping that 2021 brings a whole lot better news for us as a nation, as well as uh individuals and that just uh, we're going to have a lot to celebrate and be thankful for 12 months from now. But uh, I'm always thankful for being able to do this with you each day. So happy new year to you and your family. And we'll reconvene again on Monday. 
Greg, happy new year to you and yours. And yes, goodbye, 2020. You won't be missed. (laughs) It will not be missed. And thank you also, of course, to our wonderful listeners every day being with us on the Three Martini Lunch. We're very grateful for your faithful listening and your your comments. Uh, We love engaging with you on social media and beyond. So please keep it up. Uh, Have a very happy new year. And we hope for only the best for you. Uh, Good health and prosperity in 2021 as well. You can certainly subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch. Uh, Please remember to give us a five-star rating and a kind review. We're very grateful for that. Get us on those home devices. Just say play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Happy 2021. We'll see you Monday on the Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.